Welcome to Convention Pulpit Teen Edition, brought to you through the ministry of Time of Discovery, a division of Interchurch Holiness Convention. Subscribe to this podcast or visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and for more information on this ministry at www.ihconvention.com. This sermon was given by Reverend Rollin Mitchell at Time of Discovery in Dayton, Ohio in 2014. I know that you're going to enjoy this timely message. It is good to be here this afternoon. When Jonathan Glick got up, I said, I didn't know his hair was red to myself. I thought, this must be something new. Then when Andy Stroud got up, I thought, when did he dye his hair red? And then when Brother Heath got up, I thought, I didn't know he had red hair. Then when Matthew Malloyd got up, I knew he had red hair. (laughs) I've always wanted red hair, so I've got it today. It's coming down from upstairs somewhere here, but from the back, everybody that stands here looks like they have pink hair. And so, um, welcome me to the pink hair group today. It's better than white, right? It is good to be here, and I thought I'd start out with a little something just uh, not related to my message at all, in fact. A couple went into a pet store, and uh, there was a great big parrot sitting in his cage, and there was a sign there that says, please talk to me, I'm very intelligent, all this kind of stuff. So the man comes up, and he talks, he says, Polly, want a cracker, and things like that. And finally, the, the parrot just looked at him and said, you're stupid, and your wife is ugly. <laughs> and the owner you know, was there. He was hoping someone was going to buy this parrot. He pulled the parrot out of the cage and smacked him both sides of the face and stuck him back in the cage and said, you don't talk to the customers like that. I've told you that before. So the parrot kind of unruffled his feathers and the owner went to, to help some other people. The couple was still standing there. He looked over at him and said, you know. <laughs> Did you get it? Okay. It is an honor to be here today, and I've never preached in a theater before, so I don't know how this is going to go, but it is good to be in the IHC and the Youth uh, Discovery Time. I appreciate all of you kids so much. I've been in different of the Bible schools. I think I've been at Allegheny, UBC, GBS. I'm going to be at Penview this fall, and uh, I'm going to be at uh, Hope Sound camp in 16. So that's going to complete that group of Bible schools that I've been with and always enjoy being with the kids and youth camps and so on. I really had intended to preach today from this thought, a little old lady is looking for you. (laughs) That was going to be my theme for today. But when I got here yesterday, I was in my room, I was uh, getting ready to get ready, and the Lord said, no, here's what I want you to preach tomorrow, and he just told me. And I I have a message on this somewhere, and I know I preached it at GBS some time ago, but it will not be the same, because it's new thoughts that I just got last night. I was writing all this down because I felt like God told me what to tell you today. The book of Luke chapter 22, and this may be a little different fare from what you're used to on me. Luke chapter 22, and I want to read just a couple of verses, uh, beginning with verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee 
that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And this is what I felt like yesterday. God told me to tell you today, Satan has desired to have you. Kids, and when you're my age, everybody's a kid. Kids, I want to tell you this today. Satan wants you, and he wants you bad. Heavenly Father, we pray for a while now that you'll settle down on us. We've had a great time already today. It's been a great day. We've had a beautiful lunch with friends and family. We've heard the groups sing from the various schools, and, and we've laughed and had a great time already. But now it's serious, and now you're talking to us. And now your word is speaking to us. And we must sit up and listen for a while because you have given us a very stern challenge today that Satan is after us. We pray today that you'll help us as we bring this truth and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. The setting for this unusual announcement is the upper room. And a threat of death is hanging like a cloud of smoke over the head of Jesus on this night and Satan has already claimed Judas Iscariot soul. Judas has already agreed for 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. They have sat down on this fateful night and Jesus has passed the cup and broken the bread. This will be his final meal with his disciples here on earth. He tells them that a betrayer is at the table and there were a couple topics going around the table who would be considered the greatest was one of them. Who do you think you, who do you think's the best? Who do you think's the best? Who do you think's the best? The other strife was that who was going to be the betrayer? Those two things were kind of growing around the table that night on this very special of nights. But all at once, Jesus cries out to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you. The design of Satan is unfolded here. Satan wants you. And I can earnestly tell you kids today that if there was ever a time that Satan wanted to rob us of you kids, it's now. If there was ever a time that he was after young people in so many different and various ways, it is now. He wants you and he wants you bad and he's going to bid high for you. He's going to try to steer you off in some path to get you away from the things of God, to draw you away. That's his desire. He wants to have you that he may sift you as wheat. We all know that Peter had the call of Christ upon his life. Jesus came to him one, one day and he left everything that he had known in the past and followed Jesus. He had a call of God on his life. I just wondered today, I'm just curious, how many of you feel you have a call of God on your life? Raise your hand for ministry, mission, song evangelism, teaching. Let's see them. Let's see them again. Raise them again. I feel already God has a call in my life. God bless your hearts. And the rest of you, you may not know yet what you're doing, but I want to tell you all, whether you're called to ministry or song evangelism or whether you're called to uh, uh, be married and have a farm or whether you never get married and become a ripe old bachelor, let me just tell you this, uh, God has placed his call on you. You are his children. You are his. He wants you. He wants you bad. Jesus said, I've prayed for you. Satan wants you, but I prayed for you. Peter had a call upon his life. Peter was no amateur here. He had walked on water. Now, I, I don't know what you think about that, but I think if I ever walked like across the Ohio River, I would remember that. <laughs> I would be telling everybody, you know, I walked across the Ohio River and it wasn't frozen. Peter must have taken that day into consideration, the day that Jesus was walking on water. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, call me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus called him, and Peter began to walk on top of the water. Wow. That must have been an awesome moment in his life. He's walking on water. You can't do that. Can't do that. Peter walked on the water 
Peter had seen the transfiguration on the Mount of Jesus when his raiment was white and glistering. When he saw Jesus literally transfigured before him into a blazing amount of lights, he heard the voice from heaven. Later he said, let's build three tabernacles up here. Wow, what a day! He was there. Peter was there when Jesus fed the 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. Jesus was there. Peter was there. One day, Peter asked Jesus a question about taxes. And they talked about it for a while. And Jesus said, I tell you what, go down to the water and uh, you're going to catch a fish. In the fish's mouth will be our tax money, Peter, for you and me. What do you think Peter did as he went down to the water? Can you imagine catching a fish that had your tax money in the mouth of it? You know what? I'm interested in this pond wherever it was. I needed a thousand or so dollars last week for this, but I never found a fish with a thousand bucks in his pocket. Did fish have pockets? I don't think so. This one had a mouth. The money was in the mouth of the fish. How do you forget something like that? What were the chances of a fish having a coin in its mouth, the exact amount they needed for the tribute? Peter had seen all of that. And yet, in the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, and other places in the New Testament, Jesus had Peter, James, and John with him and other disciples, and he took, he took some of them and went a little further out. And he says... I want you guys to watch. Jesus knew that night Judas was coming with a, a band to get him. And if there was ever a time the humanity of Jesus shows, it shows here in the garden. The Bible said he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He was the son of God, but he was also man. And in, in, and in the flesh, there had to be some fear here of the cross, of, of Calvary. What if you knew that tomorrow you were going to be crucified? That they were going to strip you of your clothes, beat you till uh, you almost died with a whip that was fixed with bone and metal and glass that would furrow your back like ribbons? Many people never made it through the scourgings that happened before crucifixion. They died on the scourging place. They never made it to crucifixion. What if you knew that was going to be tomorrow for you? How would you feel? I'll tell you how I'd feel. I'd feel afraid. I'd feel afraid. Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup what cup? This cup of suffering. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to line up for pain. Nobody wants to line up and have their back taken to ribbons and have their hands and feet nailed on a cross. It was scary. And Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way that this could happen besides going this route, please do that. But if not, your will be done. The humanity of Jesus is right here. He's waiting on them to come and get him. He's waiting on them to come and get him. And he says to the disciples, watch, guys. Watch. And he goes off a little farther, and he comes back, and they're sleeping. They were on watch, but they fall asleep. Peter is asleep. He's supposed to be on watch. And I want to tell you kids today, Satan desires to have you and you've got to be on watch. You can't afford to be snoozing around. He wants you. You've got to be on watch. But in the, in the moment of time, they're falling asleep. And Jesus says to Peter in verse 38 of Mark 14, Peter, you're weak in the flesh. You're weak in the flesh. You know what, today, some of you that I'm preaching to here today are weak. If you'd admit it, 
there's an area or two in your life that is a weak link in the chain of your spiritual soul. You know what it is. I was in a meeting some time ago in a large church. And a boy came to the altar. He, I, he may even be here today. I don't know. Nice, big, tall, teenage boy, probably college age almost, right between high school and college somewhere. And he was praying at the altar. And all at once, he just got up and he looked out at everybody and held his phone up. He said, Folks, if I don't get this under control, I'm going to lose my soul. And he fell back down the altar and just began to cry. And I want to tell you, kids, there's never been a time that you could do more with a phone than there is now. There's never been a time that you can do more with an iPad and a computer and any of these things. And I'm not one of these guys that goes around preaching, if you have the Internet, you're not saved and all that. I, I, I'm smarter than that. But I will tell you this. There is a danger here. You can go places that you've never been able to go before. You can see things you've never seen before. And you can go places you don't have any business going. And you don't have to be a kid. Because I have adults come to me and tell me they need help. They spend too much time doing this, going here, and all at once they got roped into going places they never dreamed they'd go and they're brokenhearted, and this thing is addictive. It gets a hold on you. Peter was weak in the flesh. Jesus knew it. He said, Peter, Saint desires to have you. You're weak in the flesh. He told him that. He told him that in the garden. And there's some of you here today that in your heart of hearts, you know where your weak area is. You know the place that you failed in the past. You know where the devil's got you in the past. He's going to keep coming back there again and again. He's going to keep knocking because he wants you bad. He wants you bad. Jesus said, Peter, you're weak in the flesh. In John 18, we remember how that well, it's in most of the Gospels, but different ones in the Gospels tell everything just a little different. There was a time that Peter was rebuked by Jesus. In Matthew 16, verse 23, he says to Peter, Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Before Calvary ever came near, before the garden ever happened, Jesus said, Peter, you got this problem. You do not savor the things of God. What is savor anyway? Savor is the tasting of a thing. Turkey roasting at grandma's on Thanksgiving Day. Big pan of dressing blooping up and down in the center in the oven. Homemade rolls hanging over the sides of the pan. Pumpkin pie, the whole thing. Grandma's worked all morning on this thing. And the, and the savory smells are filling the house. Jesus says, Peter, you don't savor the things of God. You savor the things that be of man. You want praise in the world. You want to be a figurehead somewhere more than you want God's presence and power. More than you want the kingdom of God. You want a throne to sit on somewhere. You want the praise of men. You savor the things of this world more than the things of God. Kids, I just want to tell you today, oh, while you're young, learn to savor the things of God. Learn to recognize the savor of his holy presence in your life. Turn it over in your mouth like a morsel of something delicious. Oh, that you could get hungry for the presence of God in your life. And once you have that, there will never be a time that you won't
continue to remember that moment of having his presence and power. Savor the things of God. Way long time ago, Jesus said, Peter, you don't savor the things of God the way you ought. But those that be of men and kids while you're young get a taste of the good things of God. When I was young, I got a taste for good things. I was raised up on a farm. We had homemade butter. We had animals that we raised ourselves. We had fresh beef, fresh chickens, fresh hogs. We had pies that were made with lard. All the good stuff. And, and you know, really, it's hard for me to get into, get into dessert bar at Golden Corral. Most of that stuff, well, I say this carefully because I go to Golden Corral. Maybe an owner listening. But you know what? It's not like grandma's. It looks good, but it's not the same. It's box sort of stuff. You know, I can't get interested in stovetop stuffing. I, I've just had real dressing too much. And I, I've, I've tasted the good things when it comes to the farm kitchen. I know good stuff from box stuff. And I just want to tell you today, you kids need to get a good taste of the things of God so that down through your life you'll say, that isn't real. I've tasted the real. That's not right. I know what right feels like. I know what right feels like in my soul, and that's not right. It'll hold you steady. Peter, you don't have it. The Bible says in the garden, Peter finally to take a stand when it was his own doings. He decides to take a stand here for a little while, and he pulls out his sword and Cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Boop, goes the ear. <laughs> He's really done something now. Look at me, man. I wield a sword. Woo, ears go flying everywhere. <laughs> and you know, we got a lot of that in church world now. It's easy to wield a sword and have a pile of ears on the floor. <laughs> Look what I did for you, Jesus. Ear on the floor. <laughs> Jesus reached down. And took that bloody ear, boop, <laughs> stuck it back on the guy's head, and he's like, wow. And everybody's like, wow. Even the guys that came to the garden, when they came, they said, we're looking for Jesus. Jesus said, I am he. They all fell back on the ground, boom, just knocked backwards by his power. Jesus heals this man. His name was Malchus. Heals his ear right there. Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. Kids, I want to tell you, I've been in the holiness movement my whole life. It's time for us to quit fighting. It's time to put away the sword and operate the way that Jesus wants us to operate. Peter says, I'll do this. And all the gospel writers say this pretty much. One of them that was with him took the sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Another one says, and one of the disciples took the sword and cut off. But John rats out Peter. He does. In John 18, verses 3 through 11, John says, here's the way it is, folks. Matthew, Luke, Mark, they're not going to tell you this. But I, John the beloved of Jesus, tell you this. It was Peter. He did it. <laughs> when I was little, my brother loved to rat me out. He called me Shorty. I was a little tiny thing all through school. Smallest kid in my class for 12 years. I didn't go to kindergarten, you can tell. I was always smaller than the, than the smallest girl in the class tiny all the way through school. When I was a senior, I was 5'5", five, five, wore a five-and-a-half shoe, and sat on Sears and Roebuck catalog to drive my car to school. 
I got out at a yard sale one day out of my car, 67 Chevy. Marina blue, poly two, vinyl top, front end painted orange underneath, red wall tires. You, you, back then you took a crayon and colored your tires red every week. <laughs> the white walls were red, red wall tires with a crayon, that's what you did. Got out of my car, had the hubcaps off, painted black. Walk up to this garage sale, and this lady goes, oh, hi. I said, why? Well, she said, you might know my daughter. I said, oh, I might. Where'd she go to school? She said, Madison. I said, what grade is she in? She said, sixth. <laughs> I was a senior. <laughs> my brother used to rat me out all the time. Mom, Shorty, Shorty did it! He came home and told my dad. He said, Dad, Shorty acted up on the bus. My dad wore me out so bad I couldn't walk for two days. Third day, I got to thinking about walking a little bit. My brother always ratted me out. You know what? John stands up and says, you know what, guys? There's no beating around the bush. It was Peter that did that right there. And you know what? The deed comes back to haunt Peter a little bit later. You know, some things that you do will come back to haunt you. Preacher told me this story. When he was young and wild and reckless and in his teens, he got in a big way one night and mooned a few people. Now, I'm not talking about the moon that shines in the sky. <laughs> On a Bible college campus. <laughs> he said, you don't know how embarrassing it was several years later to go to a church for a trial message and see somebody in the crowd you'd mooned. <laughs> There's some things that just come back to haunt you. During the trial of Jesus, watch Peter here, as he remains outside when he should have went in. John 18 says in verses 15 and 16, the other disciple went in, but Peter, John's doing it again, but Peter stood without at the door. As far as we know, two disciples made their way to the trial place of Jesus. I was there recently in Jerusalem, went to the place, the house of Caiaphas, the place where Jesus was held overnight, went down into the dungeon that Jesus spent the night in. It was an awesome presence that we sensed there to know that Jesus himself had spent the night in this dungeon. I've been there. I've seen the place. And the writer says, one of the disciples went in to see what was going to happen. But not Peter. He stands outside. He stands at the door without. Luke twenty two fifty four says, Peter followed afar off. He was hanging around, but he didn't really want to go in where it was at. And you know what? Some of you young people are like that. You're following afar off. It's great to be a part of a great youth group. It's great to be a part of a nice church. But when it comes to really getting down to business and serving God and living right and living straight, you got to hang on the edges somewhere. You know what would shock your pastors this coming week? You want to show how many would like to shock their pastor? No. How many would like to shock their pastor? Raise their hand real high. All right. Go to him this week and say, what would I need to do to become a member of this church? Now holler woo. That took the woo right out of you, didn't it? You know what? When I was nine years old, I went to my pastor and said, Brother Palmer, I'd like to be a member of the Church of the Nazarene. You know what he did? He put his arm around me and he said, Raleigh, I can't think of anybody I'd rather have as a member of this church than you. 
and I joined the church. Yes, I joined the church. And I have been a member of the church ever since. Matthew Smart, come up here. I want to pay my tithe. I just remembered I had a $400 check in here for the church. I'm a member of the Carthage Methodist, Early Methodist Church. This is my pastor. And I don't get to come to church very often, but I want to pay my tithe while you're here. Can we get our picture taken? God bless your heart. <laughs> I'm still a member of a church, and I still pay my tithe because I believe in the church. I believe in the church. And young people, if you're going to be a part of the church, you need to put your money where your mouth is. What do I need to do to be a member of this church? I want to vote on who comes here to pastor. I want to vote on who is youth chairman. I want to vote on who comes. I want to have a hand in the workings of this church. And I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to live the life that you got to live. We got too many people growing up, kids, that never join their church. They never have a hand in what goes on. But you can be the generation that changes that. Amen. Peter remained on the outside when he should have went inside. Where, what happened? Jesus said, Peter, Satan's desired to have you. He wants to sift you as wheat. He told him later, he said, Peter said, man, I'll stick with you. I'll, I'll die with you. Jesus said, no, you won't. He said, before the day's over, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. Before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny you know me three times. Peter said, uh-uh, not me. But watch him. He's already hanging on the outside instead of coming in where it's at. Kids, you need to get in where it's at. You need to get into fellowship with Jesus. You need to get into the inner circle of your church. If there's anything happening, you're going to be there. If there's any praying done, you're going to be doing it. Did you like the way the guy preached this afternoon or for dinner? Did you like him? Was you in there? You didn't like him, huh? I thought he was doing real good. But you know, I thought this while he was preaching. I thought, dear God, I want to be a part. I, I don't want you to build this without me. I thought that was a great thought. Young people, we need you. Jesus needs you. But Satan says, uh-uh, I've got him. I'm going to get him. Somebody at the door. Somebody at the door. See, Peter failed. He failed to go in with Jesus. He failed in the crucial hour. Because he had something within his heart that made him afraid of Jesus and ashamed of Jesus. You know, it's easy to testify in a crowd like this. It's easy to shout and say hallelujah. But what if you're only two of you at home in the home church? That'll take the wow right out of you. But we need some young people that'll be wow at the home church when there's just two of you there. Not hanging out in the back somewhere. Getting to be a part of this thing. Coming in, Jesus need Peter in that hour. It's easy to testify in a big camp meeting, but what about when the pressure's on? And somebody at the door recognized Peter. Said, uh, weren't you with them? No, no. He said, I, I am not. I am not. John 18, 17. I am not. He denied he was with Jesus. He denied he was part of the crowd. There's something in Peter's heart that had a denying spirit. He loved Jesus, though, really. He'd seen him do things. He knew he was the Christ, but there was something in his heart that was ashamed to identify himself with Jesus when the test was on. Some of you kids, there's something in your heart. You're not ready to make a bold stand for Jesus in front of your friends, family, or work. He began to warm himself by the enemy's fire. Watch him in John 18, 18. It says, uh, the soldiers and 
Some of them there were warming themselves by the fire. The enemies of Jesus were warming themselves. And watch old Peter. He comes up near the enemy's fire to warm his hands. I saw that pit where the fire used to be burned at this place. The stone, there's a little hole in the stone where they used to lay this stuff and burn it. And I, I stood right there where Peter stood to warm his hands. And you know what, folks? You can warm your hands by the wrong fire, fall in with the wrong friends, fall onto the wrong sights, fall into the wrong people's hands, warm yourself by some worldly fire that's not the thing of Christ. Be careful when you warm your hand by the enemy fire. He's recognized again at the enemy fire. He says, uh, you now, were you with them? Now you was with them. He says, I am not. In verse 25. And all at once in verse 26, his former rash decision to take an ear off in the garden comes home to him. Uh-oh. One of the kinsmen of the guy Always some relative hanging around. A kinsman of this dude that lost his ear, he's here. He says, wait a minute now. I, I know you. I saw you. He's like, yeah, I saw you. You took my cousin's ear right off. <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of know you. I remember one time I went to kids camp. This was for little kids. I was nine years old. Very scary. I stay in a big old dorm, had, uh, uh, we call these things, bats in it. They'd fly around at night. I was scared to death. My mom gave me a dollar to, to blow at kids camp. Because I got 10 cents a week then. That's 10 weeks uh, salary. We call it allowance. All to blow in one week. And I blowed it all the first day. Man, I bought candy, I bought pop, I, I put candy in my sleeping bag to eat at night. I had, I had everything bought up. Second day, I found a little pocketbook out by a tree, little boy's pocketbook. Back then, boys had these little things, you squeeze on them and they open their mouth and you get the money out of them. Every kid had one of them. Some of them, they were very elaborate. Some of them were made out of leather, very nice. And I found one of these little pocketbook things. And I squeezed that baby open. There was 65 cents in there, a king's ransom. I didn't turn it in. I went and blowed the money at the snack stand, more candy. Man, I have pockets full of candy. You can't imagine how much candy you get for 65 cents. I've had, always had this thing about candy. If you don't believe it, come to my booth. I got the best candy in the IHC. Bought all this candy. But something in my heart told me taking that little purse and blowing that money wasn't right. I knew that. I knew it wasn't right. And I was bothered about it. But I'd already spent the money. I didn't know what to do about it. And later, here come a big boy. He was 12. Okay, I was nine. And tiny nine. Okay? And he had a little brother who was six that towered over me and looked like a bully that could beat me up. He probably could have. He said, somebody told me that you found a little boy's pocketbook. I said, yeah, I did. Where is it? Got a hold of me like this. I said, it's over here. I went and got it. He said, where's the money? It had 65 cents in it. I said, I spent it at the snack bar. He picked me up, grabbed me right here, picked me up off the floor. He said, I want my brother's money back. I said, I, he said, what'd you buy with it? I said, candy. He said, where's it at? I said, over here. I had it in my suitcase. And he reached down and scraped up all my candy, what I bought with my money and the boy's money, put it all in his pockets. Said, I'm never going to forget you. Walked away. Terrified me. The rest of the week, every time I seen him, he'd go, But you know what? I done forgot about that for a couple years. And one night, I went to my home church, 
fall revival. I walked in. I was happy as a lark. I was 11 years old. Remember the church of Nazarene. And in come that big boy and his little brother who was bigger than me still. And they looked back at me two years later and he went. <laughs> that thing come back to haunt me. And you know what? I've seen that kid off and on through the years. And every time he sees me, all he remembers about me is that I stole his little brother's pocketbook. He can't remember nothing else I've ever done. There he is. <laughs> and I want to tell you kids something tonight, today. It's going to be tonight soon. You, if you're not careful, can stumble into something that you can never fix that you'll be remembered for the rest of your life. Peter's been dead for years and years, and here we're talking about him like this. And this guy said, I know him. He was with him. And, and the Bible tells us in Matthew 26, Peter begins to curse and swear. What? He walked on the water. He saw Jesus do miracles. He found the money in the fish's mouth. Now he's cussing and fussing. What in the world has happened? You know what? The Bible says then he went out and the, and the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered what Jesus said. And the Bible said he went out and wept bitterly. He'd messed up. He failed. He loved Jesus, but he messed up. Why? Why did he do this? He was afraid they were going to crucify him too. He didn't want to take a stand with Jesus because he might have to seal, be sealed with the same fate of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is in his last meeting with his disciples he knew their secrets. He knew the possibilities of grace. He knew their attitudes. He knew their failures. And Jesus said, you guys have got to tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. Don't leave Jerusalem till you're sanctified holy. He knew they'd never pass the test. Jesus said, Peter, Satan's desired to have you but I've prayed for you. Kids, the best news in the world today is that Jesus has prayed for you. There's kids sitting right here today. You're good kids. You've been raised in good homes. Maybe in a Bible school somewhere. Maybe headed there. Maybe off to a, a career of some kind or off into ministry. But deep in your heart, you know there's something in there that's messing with you. You know there's something in there that's not quite right. You know there's a denying spirit in there somewhere. You want to love Jesus, but you really want to do this other thing pretty bad too. You want to really be identified with Christ, but you kind of want to look like the world a little bit. Something going on there. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me, but I prayed for you. And when you're converted... Strengthen the brethren. The Bible says, after Jesus rose from the dead, some of the women went down to look at the grave. They didn't know Jesus was gone. And in Mark 16, on resurrection morning, a young man was there who was an angel, apparently, a heavenly being of some kind. And he says to the women, Go tell his disciples. I got a message from Jesus. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. On Easter morning, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, sends a message through an angel to Peter. 
tell Peter to come. I love him. He denied me, but I saw his bitter tears. I want him to come back. I need him. I need him. I want him to come. And young people today, Jesus is saying to you, I need you. I want you to come. Whoever's in charge of playing the piano, would you come quickly? Whoever that is. We're going to have an invitation, and they've set up several chairs here behind this fence. This is the altar today. I want us to stand, kids. And I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a serious question on this day. Jesus has prayed for you. Satan wants you bad. But I wonder how many of you would just come and say, you know what? I want Jesus to help me. come just gather right back here there's plenty of chairs we want to pray with you God bless these that are coming no pressure at all we're not going to get down in front of you and say now what are you no I know in my heart that there's just some things that I want to talk to Jesus about today about my life these hearts. Just come right on. There's plenty of room. Come all the way to the center if you can so people can get in good. I'm not asking you if you're backslidden. I'm asking you, do you have the sanctifying power of God on your life? Do you have that Pentecostal fire in your life? Do you know that Jesus sanctifies you holy? If you don't, there's a denier spirit in there somewhere. Jesus wants to help you today. He wants to meet your need. Come on, kids. God bless you. Thank God. They're still coming. Let's pray about it today. Lord, I know. I know in my heart of hearts there's just something in here that i got to deal with. Maybe somebody would like to come and say, Brother Mitchell, I, I know in my heart I can be doing better than I've been doing. I'm not backslid, but I, I know I can be doing better, and there's things yet Jesus needs to do for me, and I'm coming to pray. Come on, kids. He's here to help us. That's right. Just step out. This, this altar is great because you can come down, nobody can even see you. Plenty of room. You say, well, I, I'm in so-and-so Bible school. I don't care what Bible school you're in. If you need to pray about anything, this is, this is time of discovery. This is young people just minding God and doing what God wants them to. There's no adults up here to mess with us. We're just minding God. It's our service. Anybody else? I wish I thought that everybody had a need had already come. I wish I felt clear about it. Jesus wants you. The devil wants you. And you're the one that's going to get to cast the vote. Now, here's what I want to do now. I want to ask the rest of you this question. Is there any area in your life that you really feel that you need extra strength in? Lord, if there's any area that the devil attacks me, it's, it's right here. And I want to come and pray about that area in my life. I feel like, Brother Mitchell, I'm minding God. But there is an area in my life that Satan attacks me at often. And I need Jesus to come and help me be stronger in that area so I can do the right thing and be the right kind of person I need to be. I'm wise enough to know where I'm weak at. And I'm wise enough to know that even though I'm minding God and doing God's will, 
that I have to keep a constant watch right here. And I don't want to be like Peter. I don't want to lay down on my watch. There's stuff that bugs me. There's stuff in my life that I know if I'm not careful, the devil can mess with me in this right here, this area right here. There's plenty of middle in, room in the middle, guys. Just walk right behind them. They'll let you through. Right here is the area that I know myself best. And I need to stand guard right here, Jesus. And I need you to help me do Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit Teen Edition, brought to you through the Ministry of Time of Discovery, a division of Interchurch Holiness Convention. For more sermons or for more information, subscribe to this monthly podcast or visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, 18931 Route 522, Beaver Springs, Pennsylvania, 17812.